Hello and welcome to POP. My name is Pastor Doug and it is Monday, September 26th. And yesterday we finished our book series on Carrie Newhoff's book, Didn't See It Coming. And it's basically a study where we talk about as we get older, things kind of come along that we didn't see coming. And the word that we focused on this past week was emptiness. So to begin, I want to ask you the question, what does your ideal life look like? So often we think of it, 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 we're not in our ideal life right now, but when we get to this point or when we secure that house or this thing or get to this position, then our lives will be ideal. My wife and I like to dream about one day when we both decide to retire, we think of the possibility of opening a bed and breakfast. Now, I like to think of it as a green egg bed and breakfast where I do the cooking and my wife runs everything else. <laughs> but uh, it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about someday doing that. What is it that you think about looks like your ideal life? I know when we were in France, we had the opportunity to go to the Palace of Versailles and it's such a opulent, beautiful, unbelievable place and you think, this guy, King Louis, he had like everything, my gosh, and other kings that lived there, you think, could you possibly want more than this? But in the Bible, there's this guy 3,000 years ago who lived that the Bible says is the wealthiest person ever on the planet. His name was King Solomon. And in 1 Kings, it describes some of King Solomon's wealth. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think of what this guy had. It says, all of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish that sailed with Hiram's fleet once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, and if that wasn't enough, apes and peacocks. I mean, this guy had everything. And it goes on to describe so much of his wealth and opulence. He was also an expert in all sorts of different topics from botany to astrology, to philosophy, to music, art, and so much else. This guy was like, as Kerry says in his book, he was Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, and Warren Buffett mixed into one. This guy was a Renaissance man before there was a Renaissance. I mean, he had everything. And yet, in Ecclesiastes, which is a book prescribed to him, some scholars doubt whether or not he wrote it, but it speaks in his voice. And so in it, this guy who has everything, he says this, he writes these words. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to every human race, or to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all 
meaningless, like chasing the wind. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this, it's like chasing the wind. My gosh, here's a guy with everything. I mean, at one point it even says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I guess that depends on your definition of having everything. But this guy still has this feeling of, is this it? Is this, is this all there is? He goes on to say, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. <laughs> you ever been there? And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. And then finally, he writes this, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I mean, think about this. He tried to find a relief from emptiness in the party scene and enjoying life, and that still left him feeling empty. He tried becoming a workaholic like so many people do when you find yourself in an empty point in your life, and so you try to find meaning in your work, and that even left him empty. Kerry Newhoff says that this is a classic example of more, better, different. Think about it when we get out of whatever education we had, whether it's high school, college, grad school, law school, whatever it is, finally move into that home that is yours, whether it's an apartment or you purchased a house and you start to furnish it. Maybe you start furnishing it with whatever you can, but then at some point you want to get better stuff. And so you move up to better furniture and Perhaps you had an old used car and now you get a new one. And then at some point, it moves from better to different. You start collecting different art or you need a different car. Instead of that Japanese one, you want a German one. And then so often we find ourselves saying, much like Solomon, still, is this it? 70% of the U.S. workforce hates their job right now study says. 70%. I mean, chances are, if you look around at your life, you know you have these amazing blessings. You have hopefully a great family, kids, parents, whatever it is, and yet still we can find ourselves from time to time feeling much like Solomon. Is there supposed to be something more? Kerry in his book says, do you want to know how to beat emptiness? Here's what he suggests. 
Find a mission bigger than yourself. Find a mission bigger than yourself. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, if you want to find your life, lose it for my sake. If you want to find your life, lose it for my sake. He's not talking about the next life. He's talking about this life. It's, it's like he's saying, if you really want to live, then give up living for yourself and live for something bigger. Live for God and God's cause, which means you're going to live for others. Find a mission bigger than yourself. Think about what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We're praying for God's kingdom to unfold on earth and for us to be a part of it. That's a mission bigger than ourselves. I can honestly say the happiest people I know are people who have become part of something other than themselves. So as I think about this, it may be the fact, and I, I think I honestly know this in my subconscious, that if Laura and I were to pursue hosting a B&B, I have to admit that's going to come with problems too. Because a B&B involves people. <laughs> and I love people. But sometimes, as we all know, people come and can create problems. So I have to be honest and realize that my best life might be right now. I mean, I feel so blessed as a pastor that I get to get, to get up and give myself to a cause bigger than myself. I get to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ unfolding on this earth. But I hesitate to say that because I don't want you to think you have to be a pastor. You don't. And here's a secret. You don't even have to do it through church. Your best life may be unfolding as you offer yourselves to the people who you surround yourself with right now. Your family, your neighborhood, your work, your friends. What does it look like for you to offer yourself to something more than just you? Jesus says, this is where you'll find your life.